Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Crack fans, to another edition of the Crack Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We are so thrilled to bring you today's guest, one of the breakthrough stars of the WTA 2019 season, an up-and-coming American who has six Junior Slam finals appearances to her name, two doubles titles in those six appearances at coming at the 2018 Junior French Open and 2018 Junior U.S. Open. Right now, her ranking sits at number 118 uh, in the WTA singles rankings, number 72 in the doubles rankings, and given that she just turned age 18 at the end of November. That is something American tennis fans can be very, very happy about. Of course, I'm talking about Katie McNally, whose run at the City Open this summer captured the hearts, imaginations, and attention of tennis fans everywhere. She makes the semifinal there in singles. Of course, goes along to win the doubles title as well with Coco Gauff. That's one of two doubles titles she got this fall. Her and Gauff also partnered in Luxembourg to get the title there. And look, for Katie McNally, she's just a, a another one of these incredibly talented young American women we have coming up on the WTA side now as a man of the Midwest, McNally coming from Ohio, Cincinnati herself. Uh, Her brother John plays at Ohio State, a guy I lost to back in the day at the Midwest Close, so this was really cool for me personally, as well as just I think for you listeners, you're going to enjoy hearing her perspective growing up in the Midwest, the influence that playing, you know, six months of indoor tennis a year has has on her game, excuse me, there as well as how it affected her style, just uh, the way she approaches the game now. And then, of course, growing up in a tennis family, her mom, a tennis professional, her brother, again, a varsity high-level player at Ohio State. Uh, When you come from a tennis family, what's that like, both as a burden and then the the built-in support group they're able to provide? uh, She credits them so often throughout this conversation we're about to have for the success she's at now, talking about them being her rock, her support group, people she can always turn to uh, for advice. And also to get away from the game of tennis. So really enjoyed hearing Katie's perspective on that. We also, of course, talked about her many uh, successful results throughout her career from the Junior Slams as well as now her breakthrough WTA season in 2019 what it's like to compete alongside of these fellow Americans pushing you, uh, you know, the Haley Baptiste, Coco Goffs, Amanda Nisimovas, even the CeCe Bellises of the world, all her age, uh, and how that helps her. You know, you see one of them. Uh, she gets into it. I'm not going to reveal now, but you will really enjoy that aspect of the conversation. She's currently in her off-season mode in Orlando, so we get into a little bit about that as well. But really fun interview with Katie McNally that I think you listeners are about to enjoy. So with that, enjoy our talk with Katie McNally. But right now it's star time. (laughs) 
Joining us now on the Cracked Interviews podcast, though she grew up balling with her brother in the 513, fans worldwide will certainly recognize her now after her run in D.C., a four-time Junior Slam finalist and winner at the 2018 French and U.S. Open. Our guest's 2019 season left plenty of American tennis fans hoping, a player who is never afraid to finish the rally. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Katie McNally. Katie, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I mean, you know, I apologize to start for the poem, but, you know, the the theme of that poem, your 2019 in the books, what a year it was. I guess we'll start there. How are you feeling? Yeah, um, right now I'm in Orlando actually starting my preseason for 2020. But um, last year I did a preseason to get ready for 2019, and I think that really helped me out. It really got me in better shape and better prepared me for the season and um yeah 20 2019 was amazing and um hopefully i can just do even better next year i should have added happy belated birthday i believe it was at the end of november did you get a chance to celebrate yeah um actually it was november 20th right after houston so i was able to go home and celebrate with my family and some of my closest friends which was really nice the big one eight right yeah 18 Oh, wow. Anything particularly special or just, you know, 2019 was celebration enough? Um, I mean, the year was so amazing with tennis and to be able to spend some time with my family, like I said, and my friends go out to dinner and just that quality time was really special for me. And um, it's just another year. So, yeah. <laughs> No, of course. And you, you mentioned going down to Orlando for the preseason, this being your second time doing that. What is it about Orlando that draws you back there? Um, I think the great thing about Orlando is the facility is just amazing. There's there's red clay, there's green clay, there's hard court, and um, the gym is the gym is huge. They have great great coaches, great trainers. Um, they have physios, pretty much anything that you need, they have, and um, they just do a really good job with their pretty much thing on whether that's on the court or in the gym. Um, they also bring people in to speak during lunch. So there's a lot of things that you can learn in all different aspects. And um, yeah, I really like it. As a fellow Midwest tennis player, is there ever a time where, cause it's December, you're like, I am just yearning for some indoor hitting and you're like, I just have to go hit indoors. Yeah. I mean, obviously I, played indoors my whole life and that's my favorite surface just because I'm so so used to it but it's definitely nice to to get out and get in the sun and play on some red clay um it's more physical and it's just a different atmosphere which is nice because there's what like 200 courts or something crazy I think there's about 100 but player development has maybe 20 or 20 20 I want to say 20 courts just just for player development that's nice. It, I, I have to imagine it gets competitive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you see your friends, um, there's always co- some type of competition going on, I feel like. And as tennis players, um, we're all by ourselves. So we always want to do the best that we can in everything that we do. So, yeah, it's definitely really competitive down here. But I think that's what makes actually everyone better is having that competition because when you see someone working hard next to you, you want to push even more and you want to do better than them. And not that, you know, anyone would doubt your need, you know, your 
you don't need anything else to motivate you. You're coming off of such a, a great season. But is there anyone in particular? You're in the gym that day. You know, your schedules just happen to line up, and you're like, this is the player who I seem to be competing with all summer long. Um, I mean, there's no one that uh, in particular, really. I think one one question I've been asked a lot is, why is U.S. tennis doing so well? And like I said, I think that's just because when one person does well, that just pushes everyone else and shows them that they're pretty much capable of doing the same thing. So when I see, for example, Coco doing well, which we're really good friends, I respect her a ton on and off the court, but when I see her doing well, I just know, I know within myself that I'm capable of accomplishing the same thing, and that just makes me want to work harder on and off the court. I was thinking more, you know, like you see Mackie doing curls, and you're like, oh, come on, I can curl more than that, Mackie. And you're just like, I'm grabbing, you know, the 20s right now just to show them up for the little fun of it. But, yeah, I I am at, you know, the larger point for sure. And we've seen so much success uh, with players who, like you, are under the age of 20 yourself, Amanda, uh, Coco, Haley Baptiste, all of these other players. Uh, Is it, it, you, you mentioned the competitive aspect, but does it help to have those players who you can bounce ideas along with as you make your rise you know ascendance in the WTA yeah I definitely think it's really helpful and I also think it's great because we're all pretty close as friends um me Haley Coco Whitney whoever it is we all get along really well on the court and off the court so um yeah we always we don't usually talk about tennis to be honest (laughs) but um we get along really well and we're always really happy when one another does well and I think that's that's really awesome that we're able to just be happy for one another and not get too, you know, jealous or, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned from the onset, your season this year left American tennis tennis fans plenty to be happy about but I want to go back a little bit before that we at Cracked Rackets have had the pleasure uh, of interviewing your brother as well John who is currently a senior at Ohio State I should also say I've had the pleasure or not so much of a pleasure I suppose of playing him in the juniors and I was obviously not as good maybe we can get to that a little later in story time but uh, for our listeners who are wondering uh, you come from a tennis family obviously but how did you yourself get into the game? Yeah, so my mom played tennis at Northwestern. She played on the pro tour, and she grew up in a – everyone in her family pretty much played some some type of tennis, whether that was club level, college. So she kind of grew up in that in that atmosphere. And then my brother is also just a – he's made a huge impact on me in playing the game. Ever since I was young, um, I would go to the club that my mom works at still to this day, and – I would spend all day there, whether that was hitting on the wall um, by myself for hours at a time, just because I wanted to be so good. And um, also Sunday nights, it would be me and my mom versus my brother and my dad. And he plays, he plays um, four or five men's tennis just for fun. So pretty much I just grew up in a tennis family. They never forced me to put a racket in my hands. And still to this day, they don't force me to. It's just, I just have so much passion for the game and I love it so much. So, yeah, and I think, you know, you your story lines up with a lot of young players we're seeing who come from tennis families on the men's side. You think of the Zverevs, obviously, 
but there are tons of players whose parents were professionals. And I'm curious for you, uh, you mentioned never being forced to play, but coming from a family that is so supportive of your tennis game that has that foundation of knowledge. I, you know, we, I see you play on TV and John doesn't miss a match, right? He tries to come courtside for as many of them as possible. And how helpful is that for you, even beyond your results on the court, just as you mentioned, getting to fall back whenever you want on that support group? Yeah, that's, it's absolutely amazing. And I think that's helped me so much. Um, just in the beginning of my career, me and my brother talk a lot about, about tennis, about pretty much everything in life. And he's so, he's really just so amazing. Um, whether, like I said, whether it's tennis or not, he's always there to have my back. We, he talks to me about his tennis matches, whether he's having, you know, a tough day or he lost a close match. Um, I'm always there to talk to him and I always want to I always want to support him and he's pretty much the same for me. And hopefully one day, if, if he doesn't make it, if he wants to try on the pro tour, if he doesn't make it, hopefully he can come to a lot of my matches because uh, obviously I can hit with him, but just to have his support, he's just an amazing brother. Yeah. I, um, I mean, my experience with him was an Owen one loss that should have been Owen two 40, 30 game point. I hit this beautiful, this was the summer he didn't lose. All right. We're getting into story time now. I'm sorry. Um, but this is the summer that he, you know, he just won everything. Right. And so he's like, he, yeah, exactly. So he's like 50 and oh on the year coming into the Midwest closed. And this is the first round of the Midwest closed, right? So I'm not winning. And like, it's well established. He's a seed. I'm not, he knows he's going to win the match. And so I lose the first set 6-0, nothing's going right, whatever, expected. It's one all in the second set. I mean, these first two service games I'm putting together, this is you versus Serena first set level of tennis I'm playing. Just lights out. Sorry, John, I'm coming to the net, it's over. Um, 40-30, I hit this beautiful ace out wide. I know none of our fans care, but this beautiful ace out wide that he calls out. And I'm like, John, and I, this, I was like, you are 50-0 on the year. You're up 6-0-1 all. I'm not winning. Like, are you sure it's out? And he goes, no, 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 it was out, it was out. And I go ahead and double fault the next three points. So the tennis gods don't lie, but that's my experience playing your brother, 0-1. Um, but that being said, you have a mom who's a coach. You have a brother who's obviously quite a successful tennis player, and I'm sure John Sr. has things to say as well. I say this lovingly, but who does the most, you know, there's armchair driving. Who does the most armchair coaching? Well, my mom, she, she works a ridiculous amount of hours every week. She works about 70 to 80 hours per week. And I mean, she is just my rock. Um, without her support um, on and off the court, being a coach, wh- whether it's being a coach or a mom, I would not be where I am today. I would not even get to play professional tennis. Um, I don't even know if I'd be playing tennis without her. So she, she does the day-to-day grind, and I respect her so much for that because personally, I don't know if I could work that much, but she does it all for the love of me and my brother, which I am just very grateful for. And it speaks to the success you both had. We mentioned that indoors thing. You grew up playing indoors, and I think anyone who watches you, the success you've had in doubles, both at the junior slam level and now obviously on the pros, would see you have a well-rounded attacking game. Do you think that comes from growing up playing indoors? That effect, you know, Obviously, that'll impact how you grew up. But do you think that stylistically, that growing up attacking style comes from you know growing up in Cincinnati? I think that game sorrow actually just came from growing her up around my mom and 
just the people I was around. My mom was, she always made sure that we worked on volleys, we worked on slices, we worked on every every shot in the game because it's so important to, to have every shot. And especially in today's game, it's becoming more flatter. Girls are starting to hit the ball harder. So I'm very lucky to have learned all of that at a very young age. And now I'm just trying to work on it and better it every single day because um, I think that if I'm able to use all of these tools, it's going to help me a lot, especially in the pros at the bigger level. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, just being well-rounded right now and that, that, that being the, having that skill in the game that's getting, you know, flatter from the ground. Um, as you've worked your transition from, you know, juniors to pros, how much of it, as opposed to being result-driven, is still focused on just rounding out the rest of your skills, putting on the time on the practice court to get your game to, you know, the level you want it to be at moving forward? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every single day I'm I'm working on my game on the court, and then I'm also working on just the mental side off the court. I think that's huge, and a lot of people have said that, you know, tennis is 90% mental and 10% physical. And I actually, I just totally agree with that. Cause once you get to the top level, whether that's top, you know, even two two fifty, you know, most girls can, they're all pretty good and they all know how to hit a forehand. They know how to hit a backhand. They know how to serve and they, ha- they have some good results, but I think what separates them and then people in the top 50 or the top 10 is just like the mental side, how mentally tough you are and how you're able to, be in situations and problem solve because that's pretty much what tennis is about. You're out there by yourself problem solving um, every single point. And we've talked about how your background prepared you for that, but you know, you obviously have an illustrious junior career, two double slam titles, four other finals. Um, but part of you know being a young player is struggling through those mental uh, the mental side of things. And you had the chance to see your brother make the decision as opposed to going pro to go to college, to go to Ohio State. I'm sure the Ohio State fandom runs deep in your bloodlines as well. And I'm not going to lie, I did a little social media stalking to get ready for this, and I know it does. Uh, and as a University of Michigan grad, I'll say congrats on the win. Um, but, yeah, but I, I guess, you know, why do you, did you think, do you think uh, you were ready to go pro as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe take some time to develop both physically and mentally at college? Yeah. Um, for me, I actually had um, agents pretty much looking at me since I was 13. And at that time, it was, it was honestly just too much for me. I didn't even have a pro ranking at that age and I was just playing juniors so for me, I think the best decision that I ever made and that my parents helped me make, because I don't know, I think for me, I was all worried about just like turning pro thinking it was like this amazing thing, but my parents um, helped me stay grounded. And, you know, we went through the pros and cons and we pretty much waited out until this year in March, I turned pro. And like I said, I think that was just the best decision for me because I knew, I knew for myself at that time that that's what I want. That's what I for sure wanted to do. And, um, it was just, it was just the best decision I could have made was to wait and become stronger physically, become stronger mentally and actually prepare for what the real tour is like. 
Yeah, and you had a slew of results to certainly help make that decision. Um, but you know, the the one I turn to is you know you started 2019, and even before any of the high level WTA success, you went and won in Midland, and you know some of your wins along the way, uh, great wins. I mean, you beat players such as. Uh, I believe it was Jessica Pagula in the final. You beat Nicole Gibbs first round, Madison Brangle, Rebecca Peterson, all players who have floated are in the top 100. Um, what what does a win, you know, a win of a tournament like that not only do for your confidence to start the season, but just in terms of assessing yourself compared to these other players who have already turned professional? Yeah, for me, it was huge because Honestly, I just don't remember the last time I won a tournament, like, <laughs> a tournament. So it was huge for me. But yeah, I definitely had a really, really hard draw along the way. And the thing is, just every single match, like I had this confidence in myself. Like I knew, I knew my game. I knew how I wanted to play. And I absolutely love playing indoors. I played actually in Midland a couple junior, multiple junior tournaments. Um, so I knew what the courts were like, and I was just really comfortable there. And I think that's pretty much why I was able to place some really, really good tennis. Again, you can take the girl out of the Midwest, but you can never take the Midwest out of the girl. Uh, I'm the same way. We're indoor. That's your. That's almost a home event for you uh, in Midland. We're, yeah. Uh, so. Um, but then, yeah, to to have that sort of success early on rankings-wise, it really did set you up well for the year. You got to play uh, the Oracle Challenger Series in Indian Wells. You got to play qualifying at Indian Wells. And, in, in you know, you get you ended up qualifying for the main draw, getting two three-set wins in the qualifying. And though, even though you lost that first-round match at Indian Wells, uh, when you qualify for an event like that, again, building off of Midland, uh, what does that do for you confidence-wise? Yeah, both matches were, were very tough, both three-setters, and they possibly possibly could have gone either way. Um, it was just some really good tennis. But when I qualified for that, um, it was just a really, honestly, a really, really amazing feeling. And I've been watching that tournament on TV ever since I was so young, whether it was watching Federer or Nadal or Djokovic or Sharapova or Serena, anyone. But to be able to play out on that court, um, obviously I didn't get to play as well as I wanted to, but it was an amazing experience. And um, I think qualifying and getting those wins under my belt definitely gave me and gave me more confidence and pushed me to working harder for the rest of the season. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Uh, you you look at your win there in that first qualifying match against uh, Christina Pliskova, seven six second set that win eight six. I'm not sure if she had match points or not, but um you know you look at uh, just assessing your level after a moment like that because you had had as we mentioned a, a ton of success at the junior level. I think even though you talked about you can't remember the last time you won a title, I think you got all the way up to number six in the singles ranking. So yeah, I'm sorry for swearing. That's pretty f- good, right? And so it's like that that'll play. Um, but as you transition 
happened in 2019 to the pro circuit. What was the biggest difference in terms of, you know, the game style, the point to point grind between, you know, even an event like Midland and the highest levels of the junior slams? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously when, when you get to the really high levels of juniors, every, everyone's really good. Um, when you get to top 10, most of those girls are pretty much going to turn pro if they haven't already. So the level is, the level is, the level is really high. But one thing that I've noticed is just like the physicality and the mentality. Um, obviously you're play, playing with a lot of older girls, so their bodies are, have matured and, me being 16, 17, obviously my body hasn't like fully matured yet like them, but also mentality, the, every single point, um, they're very strong mentally, you know, some of these girls, well, pretty much everyone on the tour, you know, they're, this is how they're making their living. So this is how they put food on the table. So they're going to fight. They're going to be really feisty and they do not want to lose, especially to younger people. That's one thing that I've learned. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I I mean, because it's so interesting. You look at the, it's not just the Americans, right? Yourself, Coco, uh, Amanda, but it's uh, Swatik, who I know you want to double slam with. It's Bianca Andrescu, who's 19, but that's a year older than you. Uh, Diana Yastremska, same sort of thing. Um, Why do you think, so many of you have been able to have this sort of success that you are having so early on in your WTA careers. Is it a testament to how how high the level of play was, you know, in those junior slams at the end of the 2010s? Yeah. I mean, I think the level was super high and um, if you're just able to play every single match and not really worry about who your opponent is or what stage you're playing on. If you're playing in a huge arena, you just go out there and play your game and play within yourself. And I think that just shows that, I mean, it's showed in results that, you know, age doesn't really matter. People are doing super well. They're getting really far in slams and even winning on like Bianca. So it gives a lot of, it gives me a lot of hope and just shows me that I'm capable of doing the same thing. I just got to keep working and go going at it every single day. Yeah, and look, during the season at the grass portion, you went to Surbiton, qualified, makes the, make the semis before losing to Ali Risk. You qualify at Wimbledon. Um, you know, you have this run of success all the way through to the City Open, where not only do you win the doubles, fi- uh, the doubles final, but you make the semifinals and singles. And you talk about the hope seeing your peers instills in you. But I'm I'm curious because there's also, you know, you're a younger player and you match up with someone, and this isn't this run of tournament, but, you know, like a Serena Williams. And obviously any player, you, you mentioned it, we grew up watching Serena Williams. She is an icon to us. She is epitomizes greatness in the sport of tennis. Um, but seeing your fellow young players succeed, does that eliminate any of the fear, you know, going into that match? Just seeing that, you know, oh, well, maybe Sophia Kennan's beaten them. Maybe so and so's beaten them. I can definitely hang with this player. Yeah, I think it definitely helps. And for me, I've watched pretty much, I think, all of the bigger matches that all of my peers have played. Um, and I think it's just really impressive how every single person has, has held themselves out there. Um, they show that they belong and that, like I said, that age doesn't really matter. And pretty much, for example, watching Coco go play play Venus on, I think it was maybe like court number two at Wimbledon I, and on, and on center court. I mean, she walked out there, like she's been out there a bunch of times and I really respect her for that. And I think, I think that actually gave me 
some confidence and I didn't have as much fear as when I walked out on the court against Serena at US Open. And watching you play. Yeah, watching you play all of these matches. I mean, it, you certainly looked confident out there, that's for sure. Um, and I'm curious, pick a week and we can break it down. We mentioned that uh, run you had in Midland, uh, the U.S. Open, I'm sure was fun. But that week in Washington uh, had to be, you know, the pinnacle of the year, right? Yeah, that was that was probably one of the most fun weeks I've ever had. I mean, it was super busy. Um, I was at the site super late because I had singles and then I had a break playing doubles under the lights almost every single night but I couldn't have asked for a better week um playing with Coco I think that was our second time playing together and we just played some really good tennis and the fans in DC were amazing um I didn't get to play the the year before because I ended up getting food poisoning but I was so happy that I was able to play there because honestly I felt like I was at home (laughs) Yeah, it, I mean, look, it, it, I can only imagine what that's like. And you mentioned the fact that you had to balance singles and doubles. And, you you know, you're top 100 right now in the world in doubles. I think you're sitting at number 72. And balancing those two things, I'm sure it helped that you were winning in both. But is that something you can envision yourself doing even, you know, more so as you continue to progress? Yeah, definitely. I would love to keep playing both singles and doubles. I've been doing that my whole career and I think it helps so much because you're not going to, you're probably not going to do well in every single singles event. And to be able to get that extra match play, I mean, you get, you get to hit, hit the same exact shots and doubles that you do in singles. So it just gives you extra, extra match play. You get to be out in bigger situations. There's pressured moments. And for me, I'd rather go out and play a doubles match than just go to the practice court. So I love playing doubles and I think it's super fun. Can you expand more on that? What is it about doubles that appeals to you? Um, Ever since I was young, honestly, I just have loved it. I love both singles and doubles, but obviously the results in doubles came along sooner than they did in singles. Um, But for me, I don't really care who I play with in doubles. Um, For example, I, I don't think I had ever played with Ego before in doubles, and we were able to go out there and win the french open doubles title so for me i just i love having someone out on the court with me and um problem solving with someone else and just honestly laughing and having fun i think that's a huge part of it you turning pro makes a hundred percent you know 115 percent of sense but i think the thing college tennis fans were robbed of the most is that you would have made the most fun doubles point player even as a buckeye it just would have been so fun to watch (laughs) Yeah, yeah i mean that's a good thing, but obviously that won't happen. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, yeah, but so, you know, looking at that week, uh, you, you win the doubles title, but uh, more importantly, you mentioned uh, the single success you had in making the semifinals there. Uh, you've had success in doubles, but that sort of level in, of success in singles. What did you learn about that, you know, about yourself that week, you know, tennis-wise, ment- mentally, as well as you went, you had that sort of success for the first time? That week in singles, I learned a lot about myself. Um, I was definitely very uncomfortable in many situations. I played the first match. I played a night match, which it's never easy to go out there and play under the lights, Um, especially when you you don't do it very often. Just being a junior, you're not really used to that. So that wasn't easy. Um, The heat was the heat is never easy in DC. It's super hot. So in my match against Christina McHale, I was 
for one set, I was just like totally letting the heat get to me. Um, I felt like I was literally on fire, <laughs> but um, I was able to push my limits and I learned like how far I can actually go and how strong I am. So that really helped me, especially in that third set against her. Um, I was able to bounce back, uh, play my game and finish out strong. So I think from that, I learned a lot from that match. And then also playing um, Camila Georgie. I lost the first set 7-6, but I was right there with her and it could have gone either way. So it just shows me that I'm right there with these players and, you know, she's beaten some really, really good players and she's, her ranking has been probably inside the top 100 for numerous years, I'm assuming. So it just gives me a lot of confidence and shows me that my game's right there. I just have to keep on, keep on going every single day and I'll get there at one yeah. point. And look, yeah, of course, and you rode that momentum into, in you know, throughout the journey of the next part of the year. Uh, I know you, you you probably weren't happy with your first round loss uh, to Mertens in the first round of Cincinnati, but I have to ask, main draw of your home event. That's what you're looking forward to as a pro, right, is hopefully getting to play that on, you know, year after year after year? Yeah, definitely. And- um, I love playing in Cincinnati, playing doubles, singles, whether whatever event it is, I just love being out on the court and the support I had in singles and in doubles was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, having some of my closest friends and some of the coaches that I've had over, over time coming, being able to come out and watch me play that it honestly meant the world to me. So it was just an amazing week. Yeah. Win or, and- win or lose, it was amazing. Yeah, of course. And again, hopefully you'll get the chance to play it uh, multiple times, you know, if not year after year moving forward. But uh, the last 2019 question I have to ask is about that U.S. Open. Uh, Obviously, you get a win in the first round. Uh, That's a huge moment in a player's career as well. But to get to play Serena second round, even before uh, the match actually plays itself out, what is that like for you mentally, physically? How do you prepare yourself for a moment like that? Yeah, I actually remember it just so clearly. Uh, I just won. I just won my first round match, and I'd gone in the locker room. That she was Serena was playing Sharapova, and they had it on the TVs in there. And I was just thinking to myself, because I had already, I already knew before before the match that she was obviously my next opponent if I won and if she won. But in that moment, when I saw she won, it was just kind of like, like it hit me. I was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> two days, I'm going to be out on center court playing against her, probably night match. And, <clears throat> like, I was really, I don't know, it was just a surreal moment. But right after that, like, I just felt like I needed to get to work, honestly, because I wanted to be able to prove myself. I didn't want to just go out there and, you know, lose two and two and be like, wow, that was an amazing experience. Like, I wanted to go out there and pretty much show her, like, what what I was capable of doing and, I think I did a really good job of that, especially the first set and a half. So, I mean, I'm proud of myself. I've never been on that big of a stage and in a situation like that, and I think I handled it pretty well. You absolutely did. And uh, one of the moments that stands out to me was after you won that first set, 7-5, looking at your face and, you know, you were able to the joy you must have been feeling. I can only imagine how overwhelming that was. But you able you were able to stay composed. You showed a still face. I think you you know if, for what it's worth, it was very clear you were aware of the challenge of okay, I won one set. Now I need to win a second set. But just your level of play 
in that moment. Again, I've asked this so many times, but that you were able to hang with a player of Serena's caliber. What do you learn about yourself after going through an experience like that? Um, For me, I think it just shows what I'm capable of doing and who I'm capable of playing with and also, also beating. I mean, she's a, I'm, 23 grand slam time champion maybe something crazy like that yeah and si- just singles yeah it's ridiculous yeah so i mean i had so much respect for her going out on the court and all of her accomplishments but for me like i said i i wanted to prove something and i knew it wasn't going to be easy even after winning that first set you know i think she got a little upset and she obviously started to pick up her level like she like she does and i knew that was going to come um so yeah, yeah, and I I don't want to you know you, you don't have to say if she said anything particular, but you go up for the handshake after a, a match like that is you know anything in particular you say to Serena anything you'll take away from that one which is you know saying goodbye to the fans. Um. Well, for me, one thing that stood out, not even her saying anything, is usually when when you're going up for a handshake, you're not usually smiling if you lost. But for me, it was just a really cool experience. I don't know. I. <laughs> was just smiling just because I got that opportunity and I had that amazing experience out on Ash, but she didn't say anything at the net. She did say something though. After, um, after the locker room, she just, she really asked me if I was 17 years old and I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. So I guess she didn't, she didn't believe how old I was. Which <laughs> No, that's awesome. And, you know, you talked about, uh, we can wrap up here, but you mentioned how important your offseason was for you last year after the year you had. And you, you played a lot of tennis. I'm sure there's a lot of mileage on your body as well. But what do you do to attack this offseason to not only match what you did last year, but exceed expectations to continue rising up the rankings? Yeah, for me, it's just going to be going every single day, pushing pushing new limits, um, trying to get comfortable being in uncomfortable situations, whether that's, you know, in the gym, on the court, just working really hard and having fun. I think that's really important. And, you know, it's off season and everyone obviously wants to work really hard and, um, you know, get stronger, faster, fitter. But also I think it's just really important to have fun. And it's a time that you can, you know, spend hopefully some time with your family if you're able to be home and train and with your closest friends. So, you can feel um, rejuvenated and fueled to get ready to pretty much repeat the same thing that you did the year before and hopefully do better. Sure. I, 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 you know, you want to attack it. Of course, is there any changes you'll make to your scheduling? Any, you know, different slight differences you'll make as you're moving into 2020? Um, For me, my schedule hasn't really changed. I mean, now because my ranking is high enough I'm able to go play um Auckland qualifying and Australian Open qualifying so that's different than last year because I was just going to play a 25k actually in the first week of January so there's obviously a different change of plans but it's a very good change of plans so I'm happy about it yeah I, I mean that's that's what comes right with you get to go to Australia that'll be fun yeah no complaints yeah, I can only imagine. Um, well, then, uh, the the last thing I want to do with you, and we do this with all of our guests, but I'll make it an amended version. want to have a little fun at the end uh, with our rapid-fire segment. I'll just ask you some, you know, this is my chance to ask you the ridiculous questions that I didn't want to put at the beginning of the interview. Uh, but does that sound good with you, Katie? Yeah, 
Awesome. Westoff, give me a rapid fire sound effect, please. Um, okay, well, you've had a, a bunch of crazy moments in 2019, one that was non-tennis related. You got to throw the first pitch at the Reds game. Walk me through what that's like. That that was crazy. Um, actually, Alex, my agent, he had told me in Washington that I was probably going to get the opportunity to throw out the first pitch. And I was just like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I was super <laughs> excited. And I really hoped that it had followed through because he wasn't too sure about it yet. And when he, when he finally confirmed it, I was just like ecstatic. I told all my friends, I told my family and I was lucky enough to have some of, some of my friends come and my mom and dad and brother came, they were able to go out on the field, but that was, that was a really cool experience. And I was really nervous, not going to lie, <laughs> because I used to throw, I used to throw baseballs with my brother around the yard, you know, just, just playing around when we were younger, but to go out and there was a lot of people there not the reds don't always get packed crowds because they don't have the best record right now but they played they played the cubs i think and it was a pretty packed stadium and i did really well so i was super proud of myself <laughs> do you practice first pitches beforehand do you like measure it out you're like all right i gotta you know throw 10 over in the strike zone beforehand i actually did practice i practiced a couple times, maybe like three or four times I went out and threw just because, you know, I obviously wanted to do well. I wanted to go out there and try to get a strike. I didn't want to go out there like <laughs> some people and throw it, you know, to the side. Like, <laughs> so I think that helped me. It helped me get a gauge of how far it actually, how the home plate was, how far it was, you know, from the home plate to the, to the pitching mound. So I think that helped me out and I'm pretty sure I got a strike. So yeah, I, I was I ex, I was expecting a curveball. Yeah, I'm not too sure how to do that yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. No, it it looked good. I can only imagine how fun a moment like that must be. Um, okay, you've mentioned we've talked about your brother John. Now I get to ask the fun ones about that. You and John play a set right now. Who's coming out on top? I mean, to be honest, he would just because he's a guy and they serve a lot bigger. It's just a fact. Um, I think I could get, I think I could be able to hold my serve though. Maybe once, maybe no. twice or three times. I'm going to give myself some, you know, I, I don't know. I Honestly, feel like it depends I would on love the stage. To play him, though. Yeah. I would love to play him, but I think he would obviously have an easier time holding serve than I would. So it'd be, it'd be interesting. It would be a very, it would be a mental war because we try to get in, in, inside each All other's I'm saying heads. is if it's on Arthur Ashe and there's a crowd, you've been there. That's true. I might be able to hold that moment better than he would because he would get too he would get too excited. Yeah, just, no, for yeah. sure. I'm... <laughs> Calm himself <laughs> no, uh, it, it would be a fun one. The other one that's competitive, obviously, uh, I know your brother and JJ Wolf teammates very close. Uh, the Wolfs and the McNallys right now, maybe the first two families of Ohio tennis. But we're talking brother sister matchup: Wolfs versus McNallys. Give me the score. <laughs> I'm saying McNallys, obviously, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, some doubles action. That's well, interesting. I don't know. Maybe like three and four, four and four. I think it'd be close, but I think that we could come again, out on I top. think that's the sort of things Cracked Rackets fans are waiting to see. 
Uh, so yeah, those are the matches. Um, all right, you you've had the chance to play Serena, which is obviously a cool moment. The professional player you would like to play the most in 2020. Oh, if I could play one player, I think it'd be, I think it'd be really cool to play against. Hmm, I think it'd be cool to play against Maria Sharapova. Just obviously, she hits the ball so hard and flat. But I think it'd be really awesome if I was able to incorporate my game style with the slicing and the high heavies and trying to get into the net. I'm interested to see how that would play out. So. Uh, that would be fun. It'd be knocking off the list. You hit that. You you play Serena. You play Kleisters on her comeback. You knock off all the big names. Yeah, that would definitely be fun. Um, all right, well, then, with that in mind, you know, we've taken up so much of your time. So, Katie, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Good luck to you uh, throughout the rest of this offseason as you prepare for 2020, and we look forward to seeing you continue to succeed uh, next season. Thank you yeah, so much. Course, Thanks for care. having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with the one and only Katie McNally. And obviously, after listening to that, hopefully you got the same impression I did, which is for an 18-year-old, I mean, so much polish, so much professionalism, just, you know, you could hear throughout each of her answers for the way she approaches the game, the mature uh, perspective she takes on both the things she needs to improve on and just what she's experienced so far. You can understand why someone that young is able to have that much success uh, when you hear from Katie McNally, you just get it. I, I totally, you know, the talent oozes through, not even just watching her play tennis, but throughout the interview. Uh, so impressed with Katie. So, you know, th- so again, I want to wish her a huge, uh, th- give her a big thanks on behalf of our Crack Rackets team for agreeing to do this and obviously wish her a ton of success heading into the 2020 uh, season as well. But uh, for you listeners, look, th- I, that mentioning that the 2020 season coming up, it is, it is closer than you would expect. I know these tennis off seasons just fly by. It's like, uh, what, you know, wasn't the year end finals last week? And it really was, it was like a month ago. I mean, it's a five week off season. If that, we've already got play going on right now in Saudi Arabia. Now, of course it's an exhibition, but you know, so much for a long tennis off season. And if you have missed anything from the off season, you want to catch up, get yourself ready for all that will be tennis in 2020. Be sure to check out our website, crackrackets.com. Uh, you can find our college contender series. If you're in the mood for some college tennis, Matt Stokowiak, Chris Hallie, and I going through teams 10 through 5 in last year's men's year-end rankings. So we've previewed those teams, talked to their head coaches, all really fun conversations you can find on this Cracked Interviews podcast. So hopefully you guys will all give those a listen. On our mini break podcast, we are in off-season preview mode. We are, you know, from here on out, each day going to look at a different player, preview the things they did, uh, preview their 2020 seasons, recap the things they did well in 2019, how we can look at 2019 and what transpired for them over their past couple of months of tennis and how they're able to build off that or what they need to do to build off that heading into the next season. So be sure to go check that podcast out. And then again, it's the end of a decade. There was so much that happened in these past 10 years of tennis. And if you want to recap those storylines, things from what's gone on in American tennis, what were the best men's seasons, who were the men and women who came closest to winning Grand Slams during the decade that ultimately weren't able to, 
All of that you can find in our Best of the Decade series on the Great Shot Podcast. Again, those three podcasts, like, rate, subscribe, written review, and I will tell you why you want to do that this time, because our new partners at Aerobar have been kind enough to launch an air, you know, to celebrate the partnership, participate in a giveaway. So, Westoff, give me an Aerobar giveaway sound effect, please. Uh, you look, our friends at Aerobar, again, who are creating the first tennis-specific energy bar, more potassium than a banana, more delicious than anything else you're putting in your body, and it's not going to melt all over you on the sidelines. So outside of the Aerobar product, they were kind enough to give, you know, which we obviously endorse and love here, uh, they were kind enough to give us a uh, John Isner signed racket to give away to one of you listeners, and the way you are able to sign up for that contest, leave a review as well as a way for us to contact you, your name in the handle on this podcast podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the Mini Break podcast, and you will be submitted into the raffle. Now, if you leave a review on all three pods, your name will be submitted three times. I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure three is greater than one. Uh, so certainly, you know, it, once you're already on that Apple podcast, leaving your app, uh, leaving your review, you might as well just click over to the other podcast. I mean, you're already there. And who doesn't want a John Isner signed racket? I mean, yeah, my serve's not good. It's I certainly won't hurt me, so that's a third thing. Or it looks great on a wall. I mean, you've some of you have seen our live videos. Imagine if I had a beautiful John Isner signed racket behind me. How much better, more aesthetically pleasing the room would be. And that could be your room if you sign up for this Aerobar giveaway. So go do that. Always have to give a shout-out to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f*** of an editing job to do, as always, and keep you listeners up to date with our latest content. But... For our lovely guest, Katie McNally, who, again, thank you so much, and we wish her luck throughout the 2020 season. For our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.